Take your Bibles, turn with me tonight real quickly to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and we'll finish up tonight our study in the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Quickly, if you'll turn your Bible there and uh, we'll read just a couple of verses and we'll go back and then talk about a little of it uh, uh, just as we go. Just to bring you up to date and uh, bring you up to context, Paul is writing the very last letter to the church at Corinth. He's already written two letters and made one, two visits. And now he's going back for the third time uh, visiting that church. And uh, I think, if you please, as we read the text, you might say that Paul's a might put out with this crowd. Now, you might just say that, you know, he's written two letters already. He's visited them twice already. And uh, the church is really, really has, has some problems with decisiveness. It's got a problem with uh, cliquish uh, people uh, sitting together, not fellowshipping with the other, mad at one, loving this preacher and another preacher. They're probably kind of like a church today, probably just a little bit. And so he's writing them. And this is the last thing he writes them in this letter. Notice, if you would please now be, be very aware that there's a troublemaker among them. He's uh, teaching false doctrine, producing a very cliquish spirit, and has turned the majority of the church against the Apostle Paul. They've accused him of everything in the world, of preaching for money, for not being an apostle, not being one of God's men, lying about coming on a trip and he did not come because of other circumstances. So they just down on Paul completely. And Paul is now writing the third time and he says this, this is chapter 13, this is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I told you before, and I foretell you, as if I were present the second time, and being absent now, I write to them which hitheretofore have sinned, and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare. Now, I don't know how that would be interpreted today. But I'd say, Paul says, you better get it right before I get there. Now, listen, this is no empty threat. The Apostle Paul has apostolic power. He's able to raise the dead. He's able to heal the sick. He's been... He's been stoned to death, ascended into heaven, and seen things he can't talk about. Paul could just speak the word, and old so-and-so would have locked jaw the rest of his life. The guy that's stirring up the church. Paul would not have to touch him. Paul healed the sick, raised the dead. The only thing I don't know he didn't do, he didn't walk on water. He said he was in the water three days and three nights. Right? There's a little bit difference in walking and being in it. Right? But Paul did not have to back up from these folks. Paul was just being humble 
And they took that for weakness. Now, so-and-so is boisterous and bragging about his credentials. And in that time, that's how they thought that a leader should be. But Paul is the author and a follower of servant leadership. And if you're a servant leader, you're not boisterous, you're not braggadocious, you're not, you're not uh, uh, walking around with a, with a chip on your shoulder, afraid somebody's going to usurp authority. Servant leadership could be taken as weakness. So Paul's humility and his desire to be like Christ, the church has interpreted for being weak leadership. Now Paul writes more. He said, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you is not weak, but is mighty in you, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now look what he says. (laughs) They've been accusing Paul of not being saved. Now look what Paul says. Examine yourselves whether... You be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you. Except you be reprobates. But I trust that you shall know. That we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God. That you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. Paul says, my humility and the way you think, I'm a reprobate. Last week, Paul said, I'm nothing. You remember that? Paul said, I'm nothing. By the way, without Christ, that's probably what we are too. You know, without Christ... We're nothing. The Bible says, take heed lest you fall. It said, if you think you stand, you take heed. And so you, you got to kind of watch these guys walk around with a full hat and these women walk around with all the answers. I don't even know the questions. I'm, I used to think I knew the answer, but now I'm kind of stumped with the questions. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, preachers always calling me and asking me what I think about People dressing on the platform and people in the choir and Sunday school teachers and bus workers. How do I think they ought to dress? I said, probably like Americans since we're in America. I guess that's how we ought to dress. (laughs) What they want me to do, they want me to say that I have all of my choir members and all of our teachers sign a contract saying that they will not spit on any side of the street before dark. And I just don't have time for that junk. You know, I don't have to say anything about the way people dress. Our church members dress right. And everybody else just falls in line. If they don't, you notice they fall out of church. And I never say anything about them. You know, you don't have to say anything about it. Amen. Next week, I'm going to preach with a stool, a turtleneck sweater, and a leather jacket. 
And Jim's going to be my praise leader. <laughs> Isn't that stupid? That's absolutely stupid. Anybody ask that, you know. So uh, the Apostle Paul, um, uh, verse 8, For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now that's where I would have to probably bow out. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you guys expect me to be a Christian and kiss some of you, it's all over. That was just the custom of the day. Now it's a handshake. Thank God, right? <laughs> Thank God it's a handshake. Ain't no way in the world I'm going to kiss that guy sung up here tonight. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But it was just the custom of the day. And now the custom has changed to a handshake, right? So let's go on. The Bible said, uh, verse 9, for we are glad. That means they're glad that the custom has changed, I guess. (laughs) For we're glad when we are weak. Now, notice all the saints salute you. Be careful those folks don't believe this next verse. Those folks that don't believe in the Trinity. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you. Amen. Isn't that neat? Let me, let me just say, it, say something now. Paul has just about had it with the church. And let me show you why. Look at chapter 12, verse 19. Again. Thank ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. Paul said, I'm not in this thing for me. I'm in this for you folk. Who do you think started the church? Who do you think spent all that time teaching and grounding you? Hey, I come over there for your sake, not my sake. And he said, by the way, I didn't take an offering, not one check. You did not put one red dime in my ministry. I came because I love you and because I wanted to do a work for God. And you are the folks that I love. He said, whatever I've done has been for your edification. Verse 20, for I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would. Now that saying might all straighten out. And that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. Paul said, if you don't straighten out, you're not going to like the way I act when I get there. That's exactly what he said. Somebody said, well, who does Paul think he is? Paul. God's man. God's called, ordained preacher to the Gentiles. The fellow who won them to Christ. The fellow who knows more about God than anybody else. And they said, Paul said, you're not going to like the way I act now if you don't straighten out. 
said, Such as you would, lest there be debates, envies, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, turmoil. Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall be well many which have sinned already. What a heart. The question often comes up. Honest. How does Paul love this crowd when they've been so mean to him? Humanly speaking, it's not natural to love someone who does not love you. But Paul here is loving a church that does not love him. Paul has their good at heart and not revenge or remorse. And and, and I think I think a real, real proof of a person walking in the Spirit is being able to forgive like Jesus did. And put it behind. Never look at it again. It's over. That, uh, in fact, I was questioned today about that at lunch because I started to whoop a guy. No, I didn't. (laughs) <laughs> she looked at said, how do you forgive a guy that's throwing firecrackers out the window of the van? <laughs> right. How do you forgive a guy who's going down the road and switching driving on a bus going 60 miles an hour and running underneath the limb on a tree and tear the bus all to pieces? How do you forgive a guy that's always getting to you financially on bus deals? One evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is how they handle adversity and wrong in their life. Because when they reviled him, what did he do? He reviled not again. Is that not so? Paul is a living example a forgiven wrong, but yet stand straight doctrinally. And he has the church at heart, not a person. He's talking to a church. He's going to nail a person. He's going to tell old so-and-so how to catty to cabbage. And when he gets there, notice what he's going to do. He's going to be scriptural about it. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Paul said, when we get there, there's going to be an examination. It's going to be according to the book of Deuteronomy. Where it says, not in the mouth of one witness, but in the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, let a matter be established. Hey, Paul loves them with all of his heart, but he loves that church. And he's going to handle the situation scripturally and biblically. That's Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 16, if you'd like to know where it is. But all through the Bible, it is it has been expressed that way. Now notice, if you would please, Paul's warning to the church, verses 1 through 6. Then we'll talk about Paul's prayer for the church. 
And we'll talk about Paul's challenge and then Paul's publicity. Look at verses 1 through 6, please, as we close this. And Paul says, number one, he would demand proof of the charges against him. In verse number one, he says, two or three witnesses need to say and prove that I have been taking money illegally, that I am not an apostle, that Christ does not speak through me, and that the only thing I've been preaching for is money. He said, we'll need three witnesses when I get there to stand forth and say that I've been done that. He said, oh, by the way, we'll have oh so-and-so on the platform too. That's just the way you handle things. There's a scriptural, biblical way to handle things. And you handle them that way, God blesses. You don't handle them that way, and God does not bless. Notice, if you would, please. And he said, when I come, in verse number two, I will not spare. I told you before, I foretell you, as I were present. And the second time, I being absent, now write to them which heretofore have sinned. And to all others, that if I come again, I will not spare. I don't think Paul was too good with confrontation. I don't like confrontation. Now, some folk like conversation, fighting. (laughs) I'm not good with confrontation. I'm not. I I don't like it. I'll run from it. I'll do anything. Well, Jim, you know I will. I don't like to do it. Anytime that I, I confront somebody, it's always with the Bible. It's not what they said, she said, or I said, or I feel, or I think. But I don't like confrontation. And I was telling Billy that one day, and he said, Yeah, I remember that guy you pulled across that fence down there that night. I, we went right on right there. And he, Billy said, I mean, Billy bowed her head and prayed, and I asked for forgiveness and asked God to forgive Billy for gossiping. <laughs> I remember, I remember that bit. <laughs> no, but, but Billy did remind me that that I I was uh, and it was kind. Anytime Billy does anything like me, it's kind of kind. Uh, but uh, he said, "Yeah, I remember that night you pulled that <laughs> across that fence." I don't remember it. I I really don't. But I I don't like confrontation, confrontation, confrontation fighting. Uh, and I, I don't think Paul did. You know, if you love folk, you don't want to fight them. Amen. You preach to folk and you win folk and you love folk. You just don't want to fight them. And what Paul has done, he is, he, he's put it off and he's, he's put it off and he's written a letter. And he went again and he wrote another letter. And now he said, folk... I've, I've had it. We, we just need to settle this. It's going to ruin the church if we don't settle it. And he said, now I'm going to come. And if you folk don't get right, you're not going to like the way I act. I will not spare. He encouraged them. In verse number three through six, he encouraged them to do something. Notice, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you are, is not weak, but is mighty in you. If I had not any power, God, Paul said, you wouldn't be saved. Uh, your power is a result 
of my humility and my weakness. See that? He says in verse number four, for though he was crucified through weakness, Christ, yet he liveth by the power of God. Christ humbled himself and became what? Became obedient to death. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet he became what? Poor. That we who are poor might become rich. Paul said, you're accusing me of being weak. You're mistaking weakness and humility. He said, let me give you an illustration. Our Lord was crucified in weakness. And he was, was he not? He went all the way. He didn't have to go. He gave in to what God wanted to do. And after three days, he wasn't weak anymore. He arose by the power of God. Paul's using that. And he he said, now, be careful. And yet he liveth by the power of God. Now he says, for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now he says, examine yourselves. He encouraged them to do something. Check up. The way you folk have been acting, he said, that's not the fruit of a Christian. Because sweet and bitter water don't flow from the same fountain. He said, you don't get bad fruit off a good tree. And you don't get good fruit off a bad tree. By their what you shall know them. By the fruit. And Paul said, now folk, if I was a fruit inspector, you'd be in trouble. Said, so just look at you. You're, you're immature. Uh, you're backbiting. You're, you're sinful in your physical activities. You're sinful in your conversation. You're, you're sinful. He said, I swear, you folk act like you're absolute reprobates. Amen. So you need to check up and examine yourself. Whether you be in the faith. I was reading today. Of course I don't read much. I was reading today about. The Holy Spirit's presence in our life. And I wasn't reading it in the Bible. I I was reading a great author. The book is thicker than War and Peace. So it'll take me about three, three hours to read it. I'm talking about the title. I'm not talking about the book. A great, 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 great theologian in the past was writing about the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And he said, most folk have no idea about the Holy Spirit's presence in their life because they're too busy making money, hiding money, saving money, and spending money. That's just what he says. I wonder what has been our goal and our motivation thus far this week. This great author said the Holy Spirit will have nothing to do with a person who is not fully surrendered to God. 
Never be filled with the Holy Spirit until one has been completely empty of themselves and completely surrendered to God. This is a kind of serious business. Either there's a heaven and a hell, a God and a devil, Holy Spirit and the false prophet. And so Paul, I think, is taking this kind of serious. And he said the real acid test is you need to prove yourself because the gospel, I don't know how I got over there. Too bad these Bibles stick together. When you get old, you can't see it. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own self. He said, prove yourself. You, you need to find out for yourself if you're saved or not. You know, how are you acting? What are you thinking? What are you doing? You need to check your own self. That's what Paul said. He said, you got busy checking me. You need to prove your own self. Could I have an amen? Nobody knows whether anybody's saved or not. Only you know. And if you're not sure, you're probably not saved. Because Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. He said, for I am persuaded that he is able to keep that. I've committed unto him against that day. Now he knew Paul was persuaded. He knew. But I think if you read Paul's life, it's probably a lot different than many of ours. Uh, He said, you just need to prove yourself. Uh, Know ye not your own self that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobate. He said, just a little test. But I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. They've been accusing Paul of being unsaved and reprobate. I don't think anybody's ever accused me of that. They've accused me of everything else in the world. Notice Paul's warning. Notice second now his prayer. He warns them in those first six verses. Let me read for you verse 7 through 10, his prayer. You say, where do you get the prayer? Verse 7, now I pray to God. That's the way you get an outline. <laughs> right? Uh, how do you know How do you know Paul's praying? Oh, oh, he said, now I pray to God. That ye do no evil. I like that, don't you? The first thing he said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you do no evil. In other words, he's saying, quit sinning. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, this place is eat up with sin. Christians are absolutely eat up with sin. Now, I could name... Uh, a bunch of them, i give you some just a little while ago in the verse. I mean, they're just eat up with sin. Paul said, the first thing I'm praying to God is that you guys, you church members, would quit sinning. Somebody says, what is sin? You know, I have no idea because I never have committed one. 
until right then when I lied about it. Amen. See, just quit sinning. Somebody said, well, I don't know what he's talking about. I've said many times. Now, sneezing in church is not a sin. <laughs> Aren't you glad, Lenny? I've said many, many times, if you want to find out what's wrong in your life, just get on your knees a minute. And this won't hurt many of you. Just put your mind in neutral. And say, God, if I've done anything wrong, you roll it by. And then when it comes by, you confess it, turn from it, and tell God you ain't never going to do it again. That's repentance and confession. If you bow your head and get on your knees and you say, God, now tell me what I've done. He don't tell you you've done anything. Wake up. You're sleeping. You went to sleep while you was praying, right? <laughs> and God will say, snoring while you pray. How long has it been? Now, God don't like generalization. Lord, forgive me of all of my sins. God says, which one? Well, do you know, Lord, that one? Well, no. Which one? Well, God, I don't want to say it. Then God says, won't you quit doing it then? Just, you know, you say, how often do you have to do that? Three or four times a day. But the difference in Saul and David is one would say, I'm sorry in a minute. And the other one said, what sacrifices are you talking about? Samuel says, you know those oxen and sheep in the back backyard? Oh, oh, oh. oh, those are not mine. Those are Jim's. <laughs> See? Paul said, I'm praying for you that you quit sinning. Quit your backbiting, judging, showing preference between Christians. I mean, just clean up the church before I come. It'll be a lot easier on you and me. Then he says this. He prays that they'd stand for the truth in verse 8. He says this. He says, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Now, you can stand for truth without being an egghead about it. I know a lot of guys who stand for truth, but they're as cruel and hard and caustic as 80-grit sandpaper. And they run everybody off they can just saying that I'm holier than everybody and if you don't do it like I do it, then you ought not do it. I'm not talking about that. Just this is the truth. And don't worry about what old Dr. Fudunk don't allow. Uh, I was asked this week by one of Lanny's friends, do you like contemporary music? I said, shh. I got it going in my office right now and got three praise bands right now in my office raising their hands. I wanted to tell him it wasn't none of his business. I said, no, but I've got a son that sure likes it. He said, yeah, I've got one too. 
You know, you just need to stand for truth. What does God say about it? You know, I'm sure God says women are not to wear that which pertaineth to a man. I know that. Well, do your ladies wear shorts? I said, I don't know, but I wear them everywhere I go. (laughs) And I said, if you keep yours as covered as I do mine, you can wear yours anywhere. Can you imagine? Take in Deuteronomy chapter 22 in the Old Testament, which says, you're not to plow an ox with an ass. You're not to plant diverse seeds in any garden. When you build your house, you build an embattlement around the top so the kids can't fall off in the yard. Or oh, women are not to wear that which pertains to a man. And no man is to wear that with divers materials in it. Cotton and wool? No. Same chapter, but the only thing the preacher grabs is the one about women wearing that which pertains to a man. And then David cut Saul's skirt off, not his pant leg. And how many people have they hurt, drove off, ridiculed? I would rather our ladies wear dresses. I think they just look more lady. Unless you're riding a horse, playing baseball or soccer. You're welcome. I don't think I could get rich selling culottes. <laughs> Stupid. Amen. Truth. Amen. There's 66 books of truth. Amen. And you're going to hammer somebody over the head with your little preferences that has no warranty at all in the Word of God. Paul said, just stick with the truth. Just quit sinning. Stick with the truth. And then he said, I'm going to pray for you that you're strong and perfected. Verse number nine. Strong and perfected. For we are glad when we're weak and you're strong. And this also we wish and pray, even your perfection. That word, mature, maturity. Had some of you scared to death. Because your wife's been telling you she's perfect all along. And you thought we caught her right there for sure. Mature. Grow up, babies. First Corinthians chapter number 3. Don't be carnal. Grow up. Quit arguing. Mature. Be strong in the Lord. The power of his might. And then he says in verse 10. Therefore, I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. Paul said, it's a lot easier for me to write it down than this be confronting you with it. Because if I'm probably in person, somebody's going to get mad. I write it. You'll have time to think about it before you say anything about it. Have Have you ever found that to be true, that... If you think about something for a little while, you might act different or speak different. Uh, 
I've always thought maybe I've always found that if I'll go home first and sit down and Ginger asks me what's wrong and I tell her and she tells me how I'm acting like a big fool and if I don't quit that, she's going to slap me three or four times. I usually get religion pretty quick. You know, if you just think, just think about what you're going to do and what you're going to say. Paul said, I'm writing you because it's a lot easier. Less being present, I should use sharpness. Now notice, according to the power which the Lord hath given me. But I, he didn't give it to me to be sharp. He gave it to me for your edification. And if I act wrong and I speak wrong, I'm afraid I will hurt you instead of build you up. So I'm writing you, hoping that I can edify you. Because I really don't like confrontation. Sometimes it turns out wrong. Have any husband and wife ever found that out? That sometimes fellowship turns into World War III? Just don't take much. It's that same way with people everywhere. He said, all right, let's, let's quit. Notice, verse number 11, he challenged him now, verse number 11. And he says, first of all, I want you to grow up. Look at verse 11. I want you to grow up. Finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect. Grow up. Mature. Got that? Be ye perfect, even as therefore your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He says, I want you to mature, grow up. Are you ready? Secondly, verse 11, I want you to cheer up. Verse 11, be of good comfort. Just cheer up. You know the best thing to cheer up with? That's the Holy Spirit of God. John 14, 16 says, if I go away, I'll send you a comforter. And buddy, it's hard to be mad being full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And even David said, Lord, return unto me the joy of thy salvation. Sin will rob you of your joy. The Holy Spirit will give it back. Paul said, first of all, I want you to do this. He said, I want you to I want you to cheer up now. Thirdly, he said, I want you to give up. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, now notice, be of one mind, live in peace. You know, I ain't live in peace. Quit arguing. You know, if you just give up, you and your wife wouldn't have near as many arguments. I didn't say give in. I said give up. The difference in giving up and giving in. She wants to buy something, don't give in. Just give up. Tell her I surrender. She say, "Why are you surrendering for?" I don't know. Preacher said, "Give up." <laughs> he didn't say give in. Just give up. You know, I've, a lot of times. Now I'm an old man. Now I, I used to be kind of cocky and stupid. Uh, who said that? But I've learned over the years. It's a lot better just to give up Amen. and not hurt people. 
You know, back before I got saved and was acting a fool, I tore up a lot of clothes. <laughs> clothes were expensive. Amen. Amen. And that's before everybody knew about karate. <laughs> Don't hurt near as much kick somebody that does to hit them with your fist. Man, that just hurts so bad. Don't hurt to kick. That's why them guys started karate and judo and all that stuff. They're big wimps that hurts their fist to hit each other. Tennessee, we taught monkey wrench and ball peen hammer. It don't hurt. Let's go. Don't you think it'd be good if we'd just grow up spiritually and cheer up spiritually and give up spiritually? And this is so good. It says, greet one another with a holy handshake. (laughs) What do you live about, Bacon? I just reauthorized. Man, I don't know what I'd do if some guy walked up to me in church and kissed me. I don't, th- I don't think I got that much religion, honest. I, d- I really don't. I hope I do. I'll just tell him, kiss Lanny. And I'll pray for him. But now, it's, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. And all the saints salute you. Listen, one thing about growing up, cheering up, giving up, it lasts forever. Hmm? And Paul blesses them and says, let me just put the trinity on you. He said, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Man, I'm glad that there's a trinity. And I'm glad when Jesus went back, he didn't leave us comfortless. Man, I tell you, I need the Holy Spirit. Keep me in check. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Word of God and the Holy Spirit speaking to me through his Word. And then when the Word is closed, the Word that I have in my heart, I need the Holy Spirit to keep me in check. Anybody here like that? Just, Just keep me in check. And when somebody hurts my feelings... Thank God the Holy Spirit's there to cheer Amen. me up. Amen. And when I'm reading like I did today, and I'm reading the book of Job, and, and reading the book of Palms, and, uh, and uh, I just, uh, God just nourishes an old country boy's soul. Now, I've got to read it a lot more. got to read it more times than most folk. Because when I was in school, they didn't teach phonics. I think I was way before phonics. I don't know when phonics came out. I don't know who invented it, but I wish they'd invented it when I was a kid because they just taught us by identification, by looking at the word. Retention is not near what it should be. So I have to read it a lot more times than you. But I'll get it sooner or later. I'm glad I got the Holy Spirit Amen. to help me with this, even though I don't have any phonics. And I'm glad I can't speed read. 
the Holy Spirit kind of slows me down a little bit, especially when I get to some of them names in the Bible. I get kind of stuff. Is anybody here like that? Aren't you glad we're all just sinners? Saved by grace. On our way to heaven. Needing the help of God.